Volume Three, Chapter Five of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume Three chapter five it was not till after two or three readings with a palpating heart a heart so much agitated as hardly to leave her the use of her reason that celestina perfectly understood the meaning of willoughby's letter which ran thus the only apology dear celestina that the unhappy willoughby has to offer for his conduct is to relate to you all that has befallen him since that fatal night when he parted from you at alvanstone the emotions which i must feel while i write i will endeavor to suppress both your sake and my own it shall be if i can command myself a history of events rather than of the sufferings to which those events have condemned me you know that after the abrupt and uncountable note that i received i hastened to the inn at exeter where i was informed some persons who had business of the utmost importance which admitted not of a moment's delay waited to see me the terms in which the note was written were such as gave me a strange alarm though i knew not what to dread this uneasy astonishment was not lessened when after much appearance of mystery i was introduced to lady castlenorth you know the woman and can imagine how ill her harshness when irritated by the malignity of disappointed pride was calculated to soften the blow which it was her pleasure to give me herself she told me that having heard i was on the following morning to become your husband she felt it to be her duty to save me from the horrors of such a union by informing me that she knew you to be the daughter of my mother the daughter of that mr everard who was my tutor and that the woman she had with her whom had been a servant in the house at the time could give the most indisputable account of your birth stunned as by a stroke of thunder i turned towards the woman of whose face as a servant of my mother's i had not the least recollection i know not what i said to her i only remember that she gave in a confused and vulgar way an account of what she pretended to have been witness to i suffered her to talk on for my very soul was sinking with anguish my mother's honour destroyed my celestina torn from me my soul recoiled from the idea as from an execrable falsehood 
yet when i remembered the solemn injunction that beloved mother gave me in her last moments to marry miss fitzhaman the promise she drew from me never otherwise to unite myself when my agonized mind ran back to the displeasure she sometimes expressed at my fondness and admiration for you i dared not with all the pain and all the horror i felt i dared not throw from me with the indignation this odious intelligence i dared not load the hateful communicators of it with the odium which would have been dictated by my swelling heart had it not been checked by these sad recollections which pressed upon me in despite of myself and gave me something like internal evidence of the facts i would very fain have denied there was in the countenance of lady castlenorth something of insolent triumph which i could not bear she made a merit of her disinterested conduct and talked of virtue and honour and integrity till i was blind and deaf she then threw out some reflections on my mother's memory which roused me from the torpor of amazement and sorrow to resentment she uttered some malignant sarcasms against you and i flew from her she had however completely executed her purpose if it was that of rendering me the most wretched of human beings and in quitting the house which she did soon afterwards had the barbarous pleasure of knowing that she had destroyed my peace for some time if not for ever to return to you celestina under the doubts which distracted me was impossible to become your husband so lately the fondest the first wish of a heart that doted upon you was not to be thought of while ideas of so much horror obtruded themselves on my mind yet to leave you without accounting for my absence to leave you to all the torturing suspense of vague conjectures to leave you to suppose i had deceived and forsaken you was cruel and was unpardonable it was however what after a long and dreadful struggle i determined to do i might indeed have put an end to your conjectures by delivering you over to others more tormenting by communicating the doubts lady castlenorth has raised but this i found i could less bear to do than even to leave you wholly in suspense believing her capable of anything which revenge or malice could dictate there was reason notwithstanding all my trembling apprehensions to suppose it more than possible that she might have invented the story and have bribed the woman with her to give evidence of its truth to this possibility my mind clung with the eagerness of a drowning wretch and i could not resolve to sully 
before you the memory of my angel mother which i know you hold in such tender veneration i could not determine to raise in your delicate and sensible mind doubts and terrors which might make such fatal impressions as might impede our union even if the fallacy of this invention to divide us was detected in a state of mind then which i will not attempt to describe i at length determined to send for cathcart and without explaining even to him the motives of my sudden journey to secure if i could your continuance at alvanstone and to set out myself to discover the real circumstances of your birth and never to return till i had the most thorough conviction that you were not the daughter of my mother or till i could learn to consider you if it were so only as a beloved sister ah celestina i little knew the task i undertook yet with anguish and depression to which no words can do justice i set about it my first step was to find out watson my mother's old servant who had never i knew left her for many years i knew that after her death and on receiving the legacy of fifty pounds that her mistress left her she had retired to the house of her son who was married and settled at whitehaven i might have written to have inquired after her but then i must have waited some days in suspense i could not bear and while i was in motion i felt my misery less from an idea that i was doing something to end it i sat out therefore on horseback for whitehaven and on my arrival there learned that she had been dead about six weeks this first hope of certainty thus frustrated it occurred to me that perhaps among her papers there might be some memorandums that would be useful and as she always hired and discharged the inferior servants and kept an account of the time and terms of their service in a book i flattered myself that i might find some date of the time when hannah biscoe who pretended to have been in her confidence and to have been entrusted with a secret of such importance really lived in the family i told her son that to see all the papers his mother had left was of importance to me he readily brought all he had there were some books of accounts and some memorandums about servants but none that gave me any light or were of any importance to my inquiry for none went back above ten years the man told me there were more but that not knowing there were of any consequence or even supposing them likely to be called for he had given them to his children who had cut them to pieces i believe however sir said he that there are some letters in a drawer of a bureau 
which I remember to have seen during my mother's illness. I will fetch them if you think they will be of any service. I desired him to do so, and he brought me about twenty letters. Some of them were from my mother, while she was in London in the years 1779 and 1780, and Watson was at Alvinstone with you, and my sister, of whom she had, as you well remember, the care of all occasions where it was necessary for my mother to be absent. You were then about nine, and Matilda about eleven years old. The only sentences of any kind of consequence were these. I have no notion of any real danger from the landing of troops from the fleets of France and Spain. No landing can take place, and tis all nonsense and bravado. I thought you had more sense, Watson, than to catch the panic of the vulgar and the ignorant, which they rather like to communicate. However, since you write so pressingly to know what should be done if anything should happen, I give you an answer. First, that nothing will happen, and secondly, if you have any alarm, which a reasonable being would consider such, take my two girls and bring them up hither instantly. But I shall be down at Alvastone in about ten days, and nothing can happen within that time, believe me. My two girls was the only sentence in this letter on which I could lay any stress. My two girls. Well, and what then? Have I not heard my mother a thousand times say, My two girls? My Matilda, my Celestina, were names indiscriminately used. My children, even my daughters, were terms not infrequent with her. Ah, little, little did her generous and benevolent heart suppose that such advantage might be taken of that generosity, of that benevolence, for now, even now, no, I do not, I cannot, I will not believe that Celestina has any other claim to her friendship, to her protection, than what arose from the generosity and benevolence. Now, do I say, can I say it? Oh, heaven! How dreadfully contradictory are the sentiments that agitated and tear my heart. Let me, however, recall my scattered thoughts and remember that it is a simple history of facts only, and not of feelings, that I promise to relate. Another letter was written to Watson, where Mr. Everard, after a very tedious illness, which had long confined him in town, went down to Alvinstone in the year 80, for change of air, rather than to his own parsonage, where some repairs were then going on. The letter was expressive of great solicitude and anxiety, but from thence what could be inferred? Nothing, 
but that the dear and benevolent writer was solicitous for the health of a friend to whom she had long been attached there was not in this a word on which the most invidious observer could dwell nor was there in any other letter a syllable to give me any confirmation of what i dreaded to find still i procured from the person who had succeeded to watson's effects every paper and every book that remained but i found nothing and returned to london as miserable as dissatisfied as i left it nothing made me more wretched than the questions with which i was now persecuted i fled from society stopped at a small village in the neighbourhood of london where i avoided everybody who was likely to know me and thought only how i might satisfy my own torturing doubts and escape those of others the most obvious method seemed to be to find out the woman who had accompanied lady castlenorth and question her when she was no longer under the influence of her employer but this i could not do without getting at my uncle's house information which i knew not how to set about to go there was hateful to me i could not now bear the sight of people whom i had never loved and to whom i imputed all the misery i labored under my servant farnham had been little used to these sort of negotiations and knew not better than i did how to integrate himself into the favor of the persons through whose means only he could procure the intelligence so necessary to us he went however about it as well as he could but all i learned was that lady castlenorth had soon after her journey into devonshire sent the woman who accompanied her into her native country which was either norfolk or suffolk and with so much secrecy that nobody knew whither she was gone or how she was provided for but farnham with some difficulty drew from the rest of the servants with whom he found means of conversing that she had boasted in some moments of vulgar exultation that her fortune was made for ever no clue however could i obtain by which no clue however could i obtain by which i could find out this woman and after much fruitless inquiry where the art of the adversary with whom i had to engage baffled all my acidity i determined to go to lord castlenorth to state to him the stigma that his wife had thrown on the honour of my mother his sister and to demand that i might have proofs of the facts she alleged such as she could give such as she could now give 
or that she might acknowledge the wickedness and injustice of her aspersions i was not aware till i conversed with lord castlenorth to how debilitated a state of indolence ignorance pride and prejudice can reduce the human mind his however was of so singular a cast that instead of being shocked at the injury done to his sister's honour he afflicted to resent in spite of family pride my doubts of his wife's veracity flew from the point to which i attempted to bring him and we parted in mutual disgust at least i was disgusted and more wretched and more hopeless than before i had made this attempt every effort to discover the retreat of the woman failing my next measure was to go to the convent at Hears. it was owing to these cruel circumstances celestina that i left you in doubt while i remained in england it was owing to these that i left england in the hope though it became every day more mingled with apprehension that i left england without accounting to you for my conduct were these surmises groundless why should i poison your delicate mind why should i sully for a moment the sacred fame of my mother by divulging them were they found to be at length too well substantiated it would be then time enough to inform you of them on my arrival at here's i went directly to the present confessor of the community out of whose care my mother took you i found him to be intelligent obliging and officious from him i learned that the present superior was a young woman of a good family who had been compelled to take the veil and who would probably have very few real scruples as to giving me all the information she could i succeeded easily in my research as far as it depended on these two persons i found that the memorandum of my mother's having taken you out of the convent by the name of celestina de moray remained and i found with emotions on which i must not dwell that there was another memorandum of expenses for the little english child received at the request of madame de p such is the literal sense of the french words who then was this madame p an old nun who had lived in the house above five-and-twenty years and who was the only person who recollected any circumstances of your reception told me that she well remembered that this madame de p came from bayonne or some part of the country in the neighborhood of that town and that she was an intimate friend of the then abbess and her name of which only the initials were expressed 
in the memorandum was le marquise de pelletier i inquired of the old nun if she knew on what ground it was you were represented as an english child she replied that she knew no more than that when first you were received under the care of the superior you were said to be the child of english parents or at least that one of your parents was of the nation but that soon afterwards this was by the abyss's authority contradicted it was forbidden to be mentioned in the community and it was ordered that you should from that time be spoken of as mademoiselle de moray well intimidations were given that you were a relation of your own born of a concealed marriage and that your father being dead and your mother married to another person you were to be considered as belonging only to the community in which you were destined to pass your life ah celestina what food was here for those corrosive conjectures which preyed on my heart having exhausted however every kind of information which was here possible to procure i set out for bayonne where some of the family at least of madame de pelletier were i understand to be found she had herself been dead some years i met however with her son a gay young man of four or five and twenty from whom i could obtain nothing but a general confession that his mother probably had from the general tenor of her life occasion in more than one instance to exercise the secrecy and kind of offices of her friends and very probably obliged them in her turn and when i explained to him my reasons for the anxious inquiries i made which i thought the only means likely to interest him for me he said that he was raymond despoir at the little embarrass into which i had fallen that la belle demoiselle might be my sister or might be his that he had not the least hope of being of service to me in unraveling the mystery for he had destroyed all his mother's papers in pursuance of her dying directions some years before and did not believe the slightest trace remained of any connection with an english lady or an english family i inquired where his mother lived in the years seventeen seventy and seventeen seventy one which was about the time of your birth and where in the year seventeen seventy two the time of your reception in the convent he replied that she was then sometimes at paris where she was believed to have an arrangement with count w a german nobleman sometimes at pezanas and sometimes at heres from all 
this i could gather nothing to my purpose and monsieur de palatier soon quitting his house in the neighborhood of bayonne to go to paris i returned thither also infinitely more unhappy than before my research all i have related celestina is so little convincing when it is put together that perhaps i ought not to lay any stress upon it when to such slight and unsatisfactory ground of conjecture is opposed the character and the principles of my mother yet shall i tell you truly that the energy with which she pressed me with her last words to marry miss fitzhaman the displeasure she always shrewd at my expressing any partiality towards you her grief at the death of mr everard which it was easy to see she never recovered some words which though i could not clearly understand them escaped her lips almost with her last sigh and which the name celestina seemed united with some ardent prayer or some earnest injunction while in her cold convulsed hand she pressed mine to her trembling lips o oh, celestina those sounds i have since interpreted into a confession of this fatal secret still still inarticulate as they were they vibrate on my heart and now united with the story of lady castlenorth and the circumstances i have gathered of your being born of english parents all all unite to render me wretched yet there is not the least likeness between you and my mother there is not the remotest resemblance between you and mr everand who had remarkably strong features and very red hair oh celestina what am i to conjecture what am i to do can i ought i on such grounds to resign you can i ever learn to consider you only as my sister where shall i go to next how satisfy my doubts how ever possess again a moment's happiness every other evil is light to this even the disorder of my affairs the necessity i shall soon be in to sell alvastone is hardly felt on my leaving england i raised money at an enormous premium in order to pay vassiver which i could not bear to owe him uncertain as i was what would become of me this together with my absence has alarmed some of my mortgagees who talk of reclosing their mortgages while my own neglect of my affairs has in despite of cathcart's acidity contributed to my embarrassments but what are these inferior distresses compared to the wretchedness of a heart adoring celestina yet afraid of indulging his passion lest it lead him into guilt 
ah every evil fortune could inflict but this i could bear but again it is necessary to recall my pen from the description of feelings to the narrative of facts lord and lady castlenorth and their daughter arrived in the early part of the summer in france i was then absent on the research i have related to you but heard they have been very earnest in their inquiries after me at paris and on my return thither some months afterward i received a letter from lord castlenorth earnestly desiring me to join them at florence or naples the letter imported that the alliance he once wished was no longer in question but that finding his health every day declining he wished to see the only male relation he had on the settlement of some family concerns this invitation i ought not perhaps on the other accounts to have refused but the hope of being able to gain some farther intelligence on the circumstances which occupied my mind incessantly determined me at once to accept it i went then and met them at florence where my uncle received me with as much overacted civility as when we parted last he had treated me with supercilious scorn i found him however not more reasonable than before the prejudices that had taken possession of his mind were so strong that he was angry and amazed that what made the whole business of his life could be to any other person matters of mere indifference he talked to me incessantly of remedies for the gout of the medicines he was taking and of their effects told me how he slept and how he eat and read dissertations without end on chronic disorders in general and from this discourse he glided by some link which escaped me into his other favorite science heraldry oh the quarterings and bearings which i was compelled to affect hearing the genealogies i was distracted with and the marriages and intermarriages to which i appeared to listen while in fact i knew nothing of what he said and only endured this sort of martyrdom in the hope of seeing lady castlenorth who on my first visits did not deign to appear all these later harangues were i found intended to impress on my mind the pride and prudence which would attend a union with my cousin his daughter and the advantage it would give me above any other alliance i could form my patient acquiescence was imputed to returning inclination for this boasted connection and when i thought to be sufficiently impressed with the ideas thus meant to be conveyed to me and to be weaned from the weakness i had betrayed i was admitted without any solicitation however on my part 
to the honour of seeing Lady Castlenorth and her daughter. The elder lady was the only one of them with whom I wished to have any conversation, and her love of hearing herself talk obtained me this favour, in spite of all the displeasure she had conceived against me, but it was very difficult to bring her to converse on that subject which alone interested me. She would talk politics, or give me a dissertation on the nature of the soul, or on the eruptions of Vesuvius, decant on the age of the world, or on her own age, if her auditors would allow her to be not quite five-and-forty. But of Celestina she would not talk, and if ever I, in spite of her evasions, introduced the conversation, she affected to hear me with horror, and to consider every mention I made of a person whom she called so connected with me as the most delicate and improper conversation with which I could entertain her. She was for the most part surrounded. When I was admitted to her with Abati and the oracle of a circle she had herself formed, in which it was generally impractical to entertain her with any other conversations than that she chose to lead to. Her daughter, who had formerly received me with so much happiness, and who had since been offended in the tenderest point, a point too in which her extreme vanity had rendered her particularly susceptible, affected no longer the overweening pride which in our first interviews had been so repulsive, but a soft melancholy, which sits well enough on some people, but was in her more likely to move mirth than pity. She seldom spoke to me, but when she did, it was with the air of one of whose just indignation was conquered by softer sentiments. I knew I never could deserve those sentiments from her, and therefore was very sorry to see them, even though certain they were feigned. But it was here only I could hope to gain any information of the woman, Hannah Bisco, who pretended to have lived with my mother nearly twenty years since. Lady Castlenorth evaded, with wonderful art, ever giving me any trace of the circumstances, and of her daughter I knew it was in vain to inquire. But there was a little smart Italian girl called Justina, who had attended on Miss Fitzhaman for some time, and who had been in England with her, and I took occasion, as often as I could see her, to say some oblinging thing to her, and sometimes to make her a trifling present. Justina, in consequence of my taking so much notice of her, began officiously to put herself in my way, 
and i believe her vanity prompted her for some time to suppose i had very different motives for my attention than those with which i was really acutated but in a foreign woman of that rank even vanity usually yields to advice when i had obtained an opportunity of clearly explaining myself justina undertook to procure me a direction to the woman whom i was so solicitous to find she produced it in about a week but artfully evaded my question as to how she came by it i sent off my own servant instantly with it determined to follow him myself if the information as to her place of abode proves to be true i received an account from him that a few days before his arrival at the house in suffolk where she was said to live she had removed from thence and the people either did not know or would not tell whither she was gone this seemed so like an artifice of lady castlenorse to prevent my making the inquiry which she knew i had so long and so earnestly desired that i could now no longer doubt but that justina had betrayed me but during this disquieting suspense time wore away and you celestina what did you what could you think of me i entertained the strongest hopes and since lady castlenor so industriously kept me from the person she had herself produced as likely to give me authentic and indisputable testimony that she knew her evidence would not bear investigation and to this hope i eagerly adhered my mind however was too much irritated by the idea of such complicated treachery to allow me to keep terms with her as i had hitherto done i was wandering about italy all the time of farnham's absence on his rejoining me i went back to the residence of lord castlenorth and very peremptorily taxed his wife with fraud i denied that hannah biscoe lived with my mother at the period she pretended to have done so and that least i should discover the deception that she had been sent away from the place where i had had with difficulty discovered her lady castlenorth affected the calm indifference of injured innocence the proud consciousness of ill-treated integrity she affected to declare that she was desirous of my seeing this hannah biscoe that she knew not of her departure from the place whither she went which was the house of a brother-in-law nor was in any way concerned about her but added she rising and going to a cabinet where she kept papers you shall presently be convinced that she did live with your mother in the year seventeen seventy 
she took out a letter which i saw immediately to be my mother's hand it was directed to hannah biscoe at mrs willoughby's south audley street where my mother's townhouse then was these were the words hannah i desire you will immediately on receipt of this go to kensington and deliver the enclosed to the person for whom it is directed and let me know by the return of the post whether the orders i gave in a former letter were executed and how everything goes on there alvastone april twenty sixth seventeen seventy m willoughby i returned the letter to lady castlenorth and expressed myself very warmly insisting upon it that from such evidence nothing could be derived or even guessed at but she bade me with a contemptuous smile remember that when i questioned this woman at exeter she had told me that you were for the first months of your life nursed at kensington whither she went almost every day to see you and that at five or six months old you were sent abroad and when my mother went to the south of france on pretence of recovering her health eighteen or twenty months after the death of my father you were conveyed thither and there put under the care of a friend who placed you soon after with the superior of the convent of st celestine at Hears, as a relation of her own the coincidence of the story with what i had heard before relative to madame peltier struck me with more force than anything i had yet learned i left the house of lord castlenorth more miserable than i had ever been before and again set out for provence hardly knowing why and not caring at all what became of me ever since that period celestina i have been wandering from place to place in search of information which i cannot obtain and which obtained would certainly render me wretched if indeed any wretchedness can be greater than that which in my present state of miserable uncertainty is my lot to suffer are we then celestina are we related by blood and is there an invincible bar between us was my mother that admirable that excellent and almost faultless woman capable of living in a state of continual dissimulation as to you and of hiding one fault by another which might have been followed by consequences so hideous to my imagination oh celestina it seems sacrilege to her memory to think it yet her aversion to my expressions of tenderness towards you her conduct in a hundred instances i can recollect her strong injunctions the promise she exhorted from me to marry miss fitzhaman a promise urged with such vehemence even in her last moments could the poor consideration of pecuniary advantage influence her then did it ever influence her and the repetition of your name with her last breath 
mingled with words that might be a prayer for you but which i have since thought was possibly the fatal secret which she determined to divulge only in death the sad recollection of that scene her countenance which i continually behold her voice which murmurs still in my ears all all contribute to empoison every moment of my life and to make that tender affliction that ardent love which was once the joy of my existence and the pride of my heart the severest curse with which heaven can pursue me yes celestina unless i dared indulge that fondness with which my heart overflows i would i could forget you for ever and determine never to see you more for i despair of ever seeing you as i pardon me i am lost in the confusion of sensations i cannot describe and at this moment i hope so miserable a being does not exist on this earth write to me celestina you have more strength of mind than i have you are not like me the sport of agonizing passions write to me tell me what you would have me do farther to unveil this sad mystery or to throw it from us for ever if that may be i have told vassiver what it appeared impossible longer to conceal from him he is warmly my friend and you may employ him in any way in which you think he can be useful celestina i commit you to his protection till till when heaven only knows and i dare not trust my pen with another word only i entreat you to write me and may every happiness that virtue and innocence and excellence like yours deserves ever be the portion of my celestina whatever becomes of the unhappy g willoughby thus ended this long letter and thus was explained the strange circumstances that had cost celestina so many tears but she wept not now she read the letter over twice her first tremendous emotion subsided but her stunned senses had not recovered their tone it was late it was cold her candle had burnt nearly out she put the letter on her pillow and unable to undress herself threw herself on the bed in her clothes and lay pondering on what she had read on willoughby's situation and her own till the tedious night was at an end End of Volume 3, Chapter 5 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.